Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Well, good morning. It's good to be, uh, to be, to be here this morning and to be, uh, to be part of this community. I, I uh, mentioned the first service. I've been pastoring for over 40 years in one form or another. Uh, 27 years at one church up in uh, uh, North San Gabriel Valley in Glendora. And the last eight years working with the garden has been some of the best years of pastoral ministry they've ever had. Uh, and um, part of the reason for that, I think, is the realization that uh, there's no one right way to do church. And that as we try stuff and see God use it and try other stuff and uh, not so much. Um, that's what we ought to expect, right? Because there's ways of doing church that nobody's ever thought of. The Holy Spirit is relentlessly creative in his love for the world that we, we live in. And so um, part, of, part of the DNA of the garden has been a desire to serve. You see it in the city serve. We've been doing that for years and years and years, not simply so we can check the box, say, okay, here one day we, we did stuff, but so that you can get a vision, get a burden for how you might actually plug in beyond that Saturday morning to partner with these ministries and various other ways and places uh, in, in the city. We want to bless the city. We, we want to do that. And um, I'm just grateful for the privilege of, uh, of this community and for what it has meant for us. For me, I've grown a lot in my own walking with God as a result of, of being here. Um, and this series is, uh, and especially Darren's giving me per permission to talk on one of my favorite uh, characters, uh, Thomas, uh, uh, kind, of, kind of the Eeyore of the disciples, if, if that makes sense, the, the kind of the pragmatic, realist, uh, skeptic, uh, nicknamed Doubting Thomas. Uh, for good reason, um, in this in this kind of encounter series, uh, just for a few weeks, we'll 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 think about folks, and 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 I always like to underline this in my own thinking, not always publicly, but it's just important for me, and maybe for some of you to realize that most, and I will say most of even the most important stories of Jesus's encountering with people are not recorded anywhere in scripture or anywhere else, right? All we're seeing in scripture is kind of a, a highlight reel of the Cliff's Note version of what God has been doing in the world. Seven eighths of the stories are just not recorded. They're ordinary people who live ordinary lives, who work ordinary jobs, who have encountered an extraordinary savior who, who doesn't make them extraordinary, but redeems their ordinary. And because that's the majority of us, most of us will never have a headline, we'll never have our 15 minutes, Andy Warhol uh, accepted, right? It, it's just, the reality is, is that most of us will live unremarkable lives remarkably by the grace of God, right? And so when we see these stories of these people, the disciples and Paul and Peter, oh, I want to be, no, 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 no. You don't want to be like Peter. You don't want to be like Thomas. You don't want to be like Paul. You want to be you. 
And if that means you're in a public platform and speaking, great, that's wonderful. But if it means that you're raising your kids and loving your neighbors and working a job or parenting or being a single mom or whatever, that, that is where the kingdom breaks out, right where you are. So uh, when we look at these stories, while we want to learn from them in terms of the kind of attitudes and dispositions that enable the redemption of the ordinary, we don't want to say, oh, that's what it looks like when you've really got your act together. The truth, this is what it looks like when you've got your act together. How many of you feel like you don't quite have your act together? That's what it looks like. And that's what Thomas teaches us. You don't have to have your act together because as it turns out, it's not about you. It's about the grace of God breaking through the successes, but also the failures and the trying harder and not getting it right all the time. That's what this story is about. So uh, Thomas uh, uh, is, is um, uh, my favorite disciple. I just resonate with him ever since I was 19 and went through the first season of, of, of real uh, darkness in terms of my own journey that I don't know if, if I fully ever kind of recovered from. Uh, my personality is kind of melancholic. I'm kind of pessimistic most of the time. I blame it on my Dutch heritage because, you know, when you live behind dikes all your life, you might drown at any given moment, so you might as well. That's not quite true, but anyway, I'm just making this up for those of you who know geography. Um, Sorry. Um, but I, I, I like him. Uh, he's only, his story is only told three times and only in one gospel. Uh, the gospel of John makes use of Thomas, and I'll explain why I think that's true a little bit later on. Um, I, I love how most of us don't know the stories of most of the disciples. Like, we can name three or four of them, right? But there were 12 whose stories like yours and mine, are never told, but who have impact nonetheless, right? And Thomas is one of those guys, the only, only three times, and every single time he has something significant to say. He's clearly one of the group. They listen to him. They attend to him, but he's a little bit of an outlier. He's a little bit uh, 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 edgy. He's not completely sold. on. He's a, he's a skeptic. Uh, the first time, um, uh, we see Thomas, uh, Jesus, and the disciples are on the uh, eastern side of the River Jordan. They have moved out of the geopolitical uh, reach of the Pharisaic party so Jesus doesn't get killed, right? And they're o over there because he's annoyed enough people by this time that they're after him. And so he retreats to that uh, kind of north side of the Dead Sea on the other side of the Jordan. And then he gets news that his friend Lazarus uh, has, has become ill and then finally becomes aware that he's died. And after four days, uh, uh, Jesus determines to go back to now within two miles of Jerusalem, the hotbed of controversy, the place where he's got his face on every post office in, in, the, in, the, in the community. And, and he's, he's, going to, he's moving into the, into the, right in the center of the cyclone of hatred towards him. And the, everybody else is voting. I mean, the, the vote was clear. It was 12 to 1 that we should just stay here where it's safe, right? And Jesus says, fine, I'll, I'll go by myself then. And Thomas is the guy that says, well, we might as well just go and die with him. 
I love that, right? Tom is just realistic. He knows what we're heading into. And it's like, okay, let's, let's go do this, right? It's because Thomas said that, that the crew followed, that we know that Lazarus was raised from the dead. John was the guy who recorded that for us. And he was there because Thomas said, let's go. That's not insignificant, right? The second time uh, uh, is, is uh, in, uh, the night Jesus, uh, last night of his life on earth. He has been, he's been just uh, uh, washing their feet. He's been talking about what's coming and so on and so forth. The room, the somberness in the room is beginning heavy, heavy, heavy. And then he starts off on this, 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 this language that must have just sounded crazy to them because they, they recognized the words. These are the words, Jesus uses words that every bridegroom speaks to his bride upon their betrothal, but before their marriage. So they're betrothed, then the husband-to-be goes off and prepares a place for his bride comes back as long as it takes, sometimes up to a year to get that place already, and comes back and receives his bride, and they then get, then get married. And, that, and when that, he is leaving, so they're betrothed, they're connected to one another, they're, they're, they're moving towards marriage, and as he is leaving, he says this, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't, don't let it be afraid. In my father's house, there's many rooms, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be with me always. And, and, and if I go and prepare you a place, you can be sure. I'm going to come and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be always. Right? And you know where I'm going. Right? And, and Thomas, here's this, this it's, it's got to be just this jarring. Wait a minute. You're the bridegroom. That makes us the bridegroom. How does this? What? What? And then it just erupts in, and Thomas here speaks for the rest of the crew. Lord, look at time out. We don't know where you're going. And we don't know how to get there. What are you talking about? Right? And it's because Thomas asked that question that we hear this line from Jesus. Anybody recognize this? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Anybody else glad that there's a doubting Thomas in the room that asked the hard question at the inconvenient time that the rest of the disciples were saying, he's, 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 he's right on the edge here, guys. Don't push him over the edge. He's, he, right? And Thomas just says, what are you talking about? Right? This is the third time. And I just love the irony here. Uh, let's pick it up. We're going to look at verse uh, 19 in John chapter 20. It says this, on the evening of that first day of the week... When the disciples were together, doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now after he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless the nail marks, I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them this time. 
And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See? My hands? Reach out your hand. Put your hand into my side. Stop doubting. Believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Uh, I think it's the greatest of all ironies that this doubting Thomas, this, this skeptical disciple, this, I, I, I said in the first service, and I think it's true, I think he was probably from Missouri, this, the, 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 the show me state, right? I'm not going to believe it unless I can, uh, right? You guys believe what you want. Got a bridge in Brooklyn for you, right? That it's him who misses the greatest event in history. Because if what we have been talking about all this time, the resurrection of Jesus is actually true, and I believe it is, this is a good world. This is a good life. It is a wonderful world. Everything changes with the resurrection of Jesus, right? And, and this, this is why we exist. That's why we're here. That's the message. That's the core message. If you keep coming back week after week after week, sooner or later, somewhere in the service, somebody's going to say that wor- those kinds of words. Why? Because that changes everything, and Thomas missed it. He was out buying bagels or out <laughs> seeing what we, I, who knows? I mean, what better thing could you have had to do than to be there the moment Jesus showed up in the room? What were you thinking? And that becomes then the central part of this. And he, he, he thinks, look, guys, because they tell him, they tell him, we saw the Lord, we saw the Lord. And, and, and Thomas has heard the rumors, right? He, he was there that morning, perhaps when the, when the women came back, and Jesus, he's raised from the dead. He's raised from the dead. Mary and, 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 and the Peter and John, they go and check the thing. None of them believed the testimony of the women. None of them believed the testimony of the women. Women preachers were the first ones to declare the gospel, both in the gospel of Luke and in the gospel of John. There's a place for women preachers. Unfortunately, some of you women will be preaching and men will not believe you. That's not your problem. That's their problem. You live in the light of the resurrection. They'll figure it out. Because when they see your life vibrating with the life of the risen Christ, it's like, I want to follow you. That's how it works. That's how it works. All right? So, 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 none of the, and and they said, we saw the Lord. And, 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 and Thomas just, (laughs) I I don't know what y'all were doing when I was out. The air's a bit thick in here. It might be legal in this state. I don't know. <laughs> but y'all are seeing stuff that can't possibly be true. Here's the deal. Unless I can put my finger in the holes, unless I can put my... I'm not in. I'm not in. I'm not in. I love how that that's, this does not mean Thomas is ostracized. They don't make conformity of belief condition of fellowship, right? I love that Thomas keeps showing up with guys that he thinks are probably nuts, right? 
The whole courier, half a bubble off. The driveway does not go all the way to the garage. I'll give you a second to think that one through. All the puppies aren't barking. Taco short of a combination plate. And everybody tracking with me? All right. So he's convinced these are the folks, and he keeps showing up with his family because they are the ones he has done life with. There is room for the doubter and room for the believer in the same community. Right? And they keep showing up. He keeps, the next week he is there, uh, uh, this Sunday, and they are gathered together again. The doors are locked, and there, bang, Jesus is in the midst doesn't come through the door. He becomes present visibly in front of them. And I love what he says. Peace to you. And then he says to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Put your finger. Wait, wait a minute. Jesus, who told you that that was the condition under which Thomas was going to believe? Oh, wait. I think I get it. You were there in the room when Thomas said it. You were aware of Thomas, even though Thomas wasn't aware of you. This is the beauty of the resurrection. The beauty of the resurrection is there is no place, no place you can be that Jesus isn't. Not, won't come to, I mean, isn't already there. He is present with you, whether you are discerning of his presence or not. And so he calls Thomas out. And by the way, I don't think he's angry at Thomas. I think Thomas and he are good friends. I think it's fascinating to me that Jesus knows Thomas's name, calls it out, not simply because they've been doing life together for the last uh, three and a half years, but because they're friends. These, this is what gives Thomas permission to say to Jesus the things that he says to him. They have validity and power because Thomas is one of the guys... He's, on, he's kind of an outlier, but that's all right. There's room for those outliers there, right? Thomas, here's my hand. Come on, buddy. Let's do it. I think there's a laughter in his voice. I think there's a twinkle in his eye. I think there's a celebration in his embrace of his skeptical friend. I want you to notice something. This is a kind of a sideline, but I felt pulled towards this first service. And again, here, you'll notice that had Jesus' wounds been healed, there would have been no revelation for Thomas. Some of you, wounds come in three categories. Ones that are healed completely without remainder. Wounds that are healed but leave a scar. They function fine. There's maybe, however, a little twinge as you pass over them. But there are also wounds that are not healed, prayers that are not answered, brokenness that remains broken. Why? Because God can't? No. Because they become the means of revelation. They become the means by which somebody sees glory streaming through that openness. We would all love healing, or at the very least, healing with scars. But some of you by the way, this also begins to explain why some of you haven't had your prayers answered. It's not because he can't. It's because he's up to something through that unanswered prayer with the people in your life who need the light of glory shining through that wound that they can see things 
in the light of things uh, that they would not have been able otherwise to see. Does that make sense? So, 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 so here's Thomas seeing things through the wounds of Jesus. And, and I, I, I just, I just <coughs> love what's available to us here. I've been, I've been following Jesus most of my life. I told you I've been saved out of a life of sin and degradation at the age of four and a half. I've been a Christian most of my life. There are things about Jesus that I just don't get. A, a, a few core things that I believe strongly, more strongly now than I ever have before, that I hang on to. I love him more than I've ever loved him before. I'll follow him as closely as I can for the rest of my life. But there's a whole boatload of stuff that don't, doesn't, just doesn't make sense to me, that are, I'm confused about, that I'm, some, frankly, sometimes angry about, right? Is there anybody else fit into that category? It's like, what were you thinking? Clearly, you could have done something a little bit nicer, neater, more orderly, right? <laughs> and and, and, I, and the reason why I love Thomas is because, here's, here's the secret, he keeps showing up even though he doesn't understand. He keeps showing up because he knows, perhaps by this stage, that there are some things that are true that you will never understand. Can we be candid? If it's about God that we are speaking, count on not understanding everything. If you could understand him, he wouldn't be God. So why does it surprise us when all of the T's aren't crossed and all of the I's aren't dotted? Why does it surprise us when he is less concerned about some things than we think he ought to be? Why does it surprise us that he embraces the skepticism, that he embraces the doubter, because doubt is often the doorway to new understanding, not always answering every question, but maybe reframing questions, maybe giving us a new light, a new way, a new th way of thinking, you, you, you know? And, and it's part of the reason why, why, why and, and, and notice what comes out of this. Notice what comes out of this. Thomas is the first guy that jumps off the cliff and says, you're, I, you're my God. That's huge for a Jewish boy to make a declaration about a man who is standing in front of him. And notice, Jesus has got flesh. There is a hole that Thomas could have put his finger through. He has been eating with them. The body matters. This is why I think this story is written. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But in the middle of this, in the middle of this, Thomas is invited to the very center and makes this declaration. You're my Lord. You're my God. And that then becomes a core, a core doctrine, if you will, a core belief. We hang on to that. And, and, it's, and it's very frustrating. One of the things that, that you probably have noticed at the, at the garden, that we've very deliberately chosen to be what's called a centered set theology rather than a bounded set theology. And the difference is very simply this. The centered set theology says we're going to follow hard after Jesus. We're going to stay as close to him as we can. We're going to love him as best we can. We're going to follow him as much as we can, right? The bounded set, you've got to believe the right things in order to be in. 
The goal is to believe the right stuff so that you're in, right? If you don't believe the right stuff, then you're out. Uh, and, and, the, and the problem with that, of course, is that uh, uh, it, it, every demon in hell believes everything about Jesus that you do, but has no intention of following in the way of Jesus. So I'm, 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 what does that mean? What that means is that there, we don't, we, we're not all that anxious about getting everybody on the same place. Not because we don't think things. We think things, right? But because I'm not going to make your conformity to the way I think necessary for me to fellowship and love and walk with you. If you're following Jesus... There, I, can think, I can think you're wackadoodle on some stuff, as you probably will about me. If you actually knew what I actually thought about a whole bunch of stuff, you what in the world? Why are we giving that guy a platform? Right? And that's okay. That's okay. I've discovered as well that I can think things without saying them. <laughs> Who knew? But here's, here's the problem with that, Right? The Pharisees, probably the, the biggest markers of, of, of this bounded set understanding, and these were not evil people. These were good people. And, and they had some very clear understandings of who Messiah was and what he came to do. And you can hear them throughout the Gospels testing Jesus to see if he's in or he's out on Sabbath. Hey, wait a minute. What do you, what do you, why aren't you respecting Sabbath? And Jesus says, Sabbath? Oh, you want me to teach you about Sabbath? No, 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 no. We want you to conform to our understanding of Sabbath. Oh, I'm sorry. We seem to have our roles missed. mixed. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I get to define what it is. Right? Wait a minute. You guys aren't washing your hands the way you're supposed to be washing your hands. Up to the elbow and for the right amount of time. And Jesus just said, <laughs> you got clean hands, but your hearts are full of the pus and poison of disobedience. What's wrong with you people? But our hands are clean. I know, I know. That's sad, isn't it? <laughs> What's he doing? Well, you, anybody doubt why they killed him? They, did, they didn't kill Jesus because he was a nice guy and went around healing people and feeding folks in the desert. They killed him because he threatened their power which is what a bounded set produces. We get to determine who's in and who's out. So, frankly, I mean, if you're over here and following after Jesus, even if it's at distance, that's a better position to be than right close to Jesus and heading away. Right? And this is, this is Thomas. Scratch my head. There's stuff that I don't, I don't get. I don't understand. Here's the deal. I don't need to understand in order to follow in the way of Jesus, in order to obey what I know to do. There are clearly some things that are immoral. Those are off the, off the, off the table. We're not talking about those things. We're talking about belief structures, right? It, it, there's no multiple choice exam for entrance into the kingdom. The question is, are you following Jesus? Even though you bring your doubts with you. Can I suggest that there's no better place to bring your doubts than into the following of Jesus? Bring them along. Stuff will get straightened out along the way if it's important. And if it isn't, it won't. There are some people myself included, 
that will be entering into heaven with our long list of questions, and, and we will want to sit down with somebody, somebody, to explain to us why the universe isn't as ordered as it ought to be. And then we'll discover the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and our list will suddenly disappear because it doesn't matter. Right? We will be face down in the gold like everybody else. So we are invited in this season to embrace, to love, to celebrate the outliers, the skeptics, because their questions, their poking at the balloon. With, notice what he says, blessed are you who have seen, and blessed are those who having not seen still believe. Oh, because I think even I would believe if I had a finger through a hole, wouldn't you? I've never had that. None of you have had that. You're here because people believed without seeing. People will be here next year because you believe without seeing. Faith is not about certainty. Faith is about following. Standing in the reality of the resurrected Christ, I have tons of questions. Bring them along, but follow close. So what does it mean to be a skeptic? What does it mean to be a doubter? What are the strategies? First of all, don't hide your doubts. Be honest about them. Don't hide in them either. Because sometimes we hide in our doubts so that we don't have to follow. If you know what to do, do it then we can sort out stuff in understanding. If you're making understanding a condition of following, good luck with that, because that's not going to help. We want to follow on the way to understanding, not building on the foundation of understanding. Show up. Be part of the community. Be part of a house church. Be part of a fellowship group. Don't distance yourself because you think those people believe stuff that you can't quite believe. Of course they do. That's not the condition of fellowship. And it's not the condition of following. Keep looking for Jesus. Okay, stay as close to him as you can. Doubt long enough and persistently enough and faithfully enough to the point where you begin to doubt your doubts. And then humble yourself when doubt gives way to reality. But what does it mean for us to be a community that embraces, that welcomes, that creates space for doubters? First of all, again, we don't want to make conformed belief a condition of acceptance, of fellowship. Maybe we need to examine our own doubts that we haven't had courage to give voice to, our confusions, our disappointments. All of us are on the way. And candidly, most of us are confused about some stuff, right? In fact, the ones that make me most nervous now, after being a disciple of Jesus for the length of time, the ones that make me the most nervous are the ones who have no hesitation or doubts about anything. If Jesus hasn't disappointed you, you're following the wrong Jesus. Everybody okay? All right. Pray for sufficient revelation. Not all-encompassing, just enough. 
for what next steps are. And then keep following in the way of Jesus. Keep following in the way of Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.